You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on public radio, KUNV 91.5. You're listening to special programming brought to you by itswhereiam.com. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Good morning, KUNV 91.5 FM listeners. This is Dr. G on It's Where I Am. I'm David Jenis, Clinical and Public Relations Director at Great Minds Counseling and Wellness Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I have with me today Michelle Johnson, who is a Peer Recovery Support Specialist. Hi, Michelle. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to come on the show and and to share uh, your experience accessing mental health services. On It's Where I Am, uh, this is a uh, public uh, radio show where we have the opportunity to identify community resources and um, talk about what's available to assist others in managing uh, their mental health needs, as well as identifying where to go, where to access care, how to go about accessing resources. Um, And, you know, this is one of the primary reasons why I thought you'd be such a great um, contributor today, Michelle, because of your story, um, which I'm so excited for you to be able to share uh, with, with our listeners at KUNV. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, each week I've had the privilege of introducing different theoretical interventions or models, uh, just really uh, providing more information about these different interventions to community to community members, um, knowing that they they exist and and and. You know, some of these interventions are relatively newer um, as far as um, being different or or being supplemental to what we would think of regular therapy, which is talk therapy. And so um, what I thought would be helpful for our listeners and our community members is really having an opportunity to dive in and and go through the therapy process, um, and and really helping people uh, have more information and feeling prepared in regards to having a successful experiencing experience. Excuse me, accessing care and and initiating and participating in talk therapy, um, because I feel like that there is still today so many um, uh, stigmas that uh, impacts individuals' desire and uh, thinking about want to participate in therapy and to want to access, you know, appropriate level of services that really would help move them or or their family or a family member 
and in the right direction as far as living a higher quality of living and and being safe and and maybe experiencing um, increased happiness on a day-to-day basis. So, Michelle, that leads me to wanting to ask you um, my first question. So you are a peer recovery support specialist. Um, would you mind sharing uh, with our listeners, um, w- what is that? That's a fancy title. So it is um, a person with lived experience. So I have lived experience with substance use, alcoholism, um, and mental health. So I share with people that are struggling, you know, how to get help. So like you're talking, you know, um, I share with what worked for me and try to lead them in the right direction. I love that. I love that. So I I really have had the privilege to work alongside um, peer support partners, which is just another term for the peer recovery support specialist uh, role um, since 2008. Um, And I've had the opportunity to observe um, how helpful having a peer recovery support specialist as part of the treatment team for an individual and family. Um, Oftentimes, I've observed that uh, people accessing care initially open up quicker and first to these peer support partners um, because they relate to those folks a lot um, quicker than they do to the therapist or the psychiatrist or other team members. So I've just found that the role that you work in today, Michelle, is is just so um, important for treatment team uh, to access um, the the community resources that will help families sustain. Uh, the changes that they're making uh, throughout the course of of their participation in therapy. So, um, you know, I have to say kudos to you because I just have so much respect for this role and I just know how many individuals and families that you have been able to help throughout the years um, and it it just warms my heart. So thank you. Oh, thanks, David. So, so, okay. So my next question is though, Michelle, so, so now... At some point, though, in your life, you determined or, or maybe somebody else determined for you um, that you needed maybe to get involved in something to help you move your life forward in a positive direction. Can you talk a little bit about that as far as like what happened? What was the catalyst? So my catalyst was actually going to jail and having a judge order me to get help for my substance use. Um, I went into Crossroads uh, in Northern Nevada, and that's when I was provided with all of the, everything I needed, a counselor, a therapist, a case manager, you know, so I had everything in one spot, you know, which is so much better and easier, but it can be done other ways. Okay, so um, so then you were mandated, though, by a referral source that said, you know, you had to 
participate in therapy. Is that yes. a, okay? All right. So that's certainly one um, direct avenue to get connected to therapy and to initiate that process. Um, and so I would say then, Michelle, for you, it was involuntary, um, even though you may have felt that, okay, this is the right thing for you to do at that time in your life. Um, it was being mandated, though. So you didn't really have a yeah. choice. You had to go and participate. Right. Well, I had a choice. I could have left, but... <laughs> Okay. But no, um, I, it was you either do this or you're not. Part, it's not part of your program because it's programming. Okay. Okay. So, um, so there's there's kind of how I think about accessing or the the roots to access care. Um, you know, there's involuntary and then voluntary, and and so um, I think that for many individuals. Um, the process to determine that they're ready and motivated to um, initiate therapy or clinical services, um, that, that's, a, that's a heavy initial decision. C- can you maybe talk about that, Michelle? And, and if, the, if, you, if there was anything that came up for you around, you know, wanting to, to go in deep, if you will, um, and taking a look at yourself, that would eventually lead to, to making changes in your behaviors. Absolutely. So um, my mother passed away when I was quite young, and I had never dealt with that trauma Um, so substance use was my way of masking that and, you know, just piling on the trauma and not ever working through it. So once I, you know, I got my therapist who seven years later is still my therapist, (laughs) um, we were able to get to the root, you know, and I went to a psychiatrist and they're like, well, you're a little bit anxious and you're a lot bit depressed. And I was like, okay, so what do I do to, to fix that? You know, and yeah, they give you medications, but they highly, highly recommend therapy to get to what is causing, you know, this severe depression or this high anxiety. Cause it did, didn't start. There's something, a core there that is, causing it. Okay. So, so, um, what I, what I heard, Michelle, was that, um, once you are able to be connected to the appropriate, um, level of care, uh, for what you needed in your life to be able to move forward and to heal and, and, and to be safe and, and to eventually move forward, um, to, to be healthier, um, you were connected with a team and then your primary therapist is the individual that sat with you and, and, and listened to you and helped you identify uh, what was the root, I believe you said, of um, yeah. what was bringing, bringing forth and bringing out of you behaviors that weren't really helpful to you, which were related to not dealing with trauma that happened much earlier in your life. 
much, much earlier. And um, through like going through therapy, um, we did do the EMDR, um, which was a very intense behavior, but that was about three years into um, seeing my therapist. Okay, so for listeners, um, Michelle uh, referenced uh, the term EMDR. And for those of you listening that are unfamiliar with that term, um, that is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Um, And so can you talk a little bit about what that was like, Michelle, participating in that specific uh, style of therapy? It. We literally, I felt the trauma coming out of my hands um, as we were going through it. And you find a safe space and you work through this trauma, you know, and it took us about two months. um, But today I'm able to say, you know, like my mom's death wasn't my fault. Um, I am good enough as a person. And these are things that for years, years, I... I couldn't look in the mirror and not feel guilty for something that I didn't do. Michelle, you you, you, you were just like touching, touching my heart. You, uh, you know, listening to your feelings um, connected to your mom's passing um, is is moving. It's powerful. And to think about, though, the heaviness associated with you carrying, though, thoughts around how you were connected to your mom passing. Um, and and it sounds like you carried that heaviness in you for years before you were connected to the correct resources. Yeah, almost uh, 20 years. Oh, my goodness. So for 20 years, you were carrying in your body this trauma that was then contributing to bringing out from you uh, feelings and thoughts that led to maladaptive behaviors, which was drinking and drug use? Is that what what your specific behaviors were? Yes. And, And so, okay, so now you are in the therapy uh, office, you, you're, you're, you've built this safe therapeutic relationship with, with your therapist that's working with you. You know, I can only um, infer, Michelle, that during that process that, you know, the emergence of this insight and feelings and other thinking could be overwhelming. Uh, did you ever feel like that as you kind of went through your healing process? I did. Um, I thought, you know, not ha- carrying that, you know, I felt like I was crazy because I thought these feelings were so long. Um, I actually went impatient at a point um, to regulate my thoughts because my thoughts were um, self-harm. Um, cause I, I had felt the pain for so long and then I was finally to, able to let go of that pain and it triggered part of my brain, you know, that to hurt myself. 
And so then when you started having those feelings or thoughts rather of wanting to harm yourself, that's when your team connected you then to inpatient hospitalization so that you could be medically monitored, observed to make sure that you um, could not have access to anything to harm yourself with. So, okay. All right. So again, that's connecting you to the most appropriate uh, least restrictive level of care. So your team did a great job. Um, you know, what I heard though was that um, as you were moving through this process of what I'm going to refer to as healing, um, that there was also though a different type of heaviness that was surfacing from you um, because you were working through all that stuff that you were carrying for about 20 years. And so I think this acknowledgement is so um, significant for our listeners to uh, just hold in mind because that could be a breaking point if an individual or family is going to continue with treatment because of the intensity of what they may be feeling at that time. And so even though that the work is being done uh, to set the stage, if you will, to promote uh, change in behaviors and long-term healing, um, it's still really heavy emotionally and overwhelming. Anything you want to say about that, Michelle? Um, I try to tell people um, that I deal with on a daily basis, you know, if you get a therapist and you don't feel the click in like two or three sessions, it is okay to ask for a different person. You know, not everybody's going to match up 100%. Um, I still talk to my therapist, even though she isn't practicing anymore. She is literally still in my life, you know, just to check in with, you know, whether things are good or bad, we check in, you know, like keeping that as a consistent in my life has helped me. Yeah, no, I, I um, appreciate hearing this so much because um, as trained therapists, um, you know, we go to graduate school and we're trained in a very specific way, Um, almost cold to be to be candid in how we are to present ourselves because of the need to maintain ethical and healthy boundaries in the professional relationship of therapists to patient. And though how we're trained in graduate school, that's not really how we practice in, in, in community and in, in, in real practice in the real world. Um, you know, uh, therapists are human beings as well. Um, and we have problems just like everybody else. Um, and, you know, I feel like the therapists that have the greatest success and have the highest outcomes are those that don't view themselves any differently than the patients that they're treating that are sitting in the chair across from them. And I think there should be a level of humbleness that the, the clinical provider should um, present with so that they can help individuals um, like yourself, uh, Michelle, uh, continue to have the courage to participate in services and, and to come back. 
So throughout now, you did you lived at your program Crossroads? I did. I lived there for almost two years. Okay, so then I worked there. So that's where that you know I lived and worked there. So literally doing peer support since the beginning of my recovery. Okay, so so you got introduced to this um, philosophy of peer recovery uh, early on. I mean, as soon as you were really becoming involved in participating in clinical services. Absolutely. So, okay. I so I, I think I'm trying to um, like um, connect dots. Um, and show how there is a pathway um, in in the therapeutic process. Um, and the reason why I think this is really helpful for people uh, to understand how therapy works um, because, uh, you know, there's so much emotional um, energy that's involved in, in this process and in the relationship process that is between the therapist, the clinical providers, the therapeutic uh, treatment team, and, and the individual and the family, that um, things sometimes can go awry where, or off track um, because of uh, cognitive perceptions um, on understanding of how decisions are being made and and how progress is being viewed and determined and um, how uh, identified needs are, are being uh, discussed and um, you know there's just so many layers and and it's so complex uh, this this process of therapy that um, there's lots of opportunities though for things to go wrong that then would lead, though, an individual and family potentially stopping treatment and not getting the treatment that they really need to be healthy and to move forward and to be safe and to live, um, hopefully, a, a, a happier, higher quality of, of life. So, and it does. It, it, the roadblocks um, are usually put up by, you know, individuals because okay. there's that one component that's missing, right? So, or so, something's gone wrong. So then, Michelle, what would you say? What would you say to a person or a family that is thinking about accessing care, thinking about uh, going into a therapy office, initiating that relationship with the provider, um, but they're uncertain. They're they're feeling nervous. Uh, maybe there's a fear associated with um, what uh, their neighbors or their employer or other family members might think about them for participating in mental health treatment or substance use treatment. Um, what would you say to people that that really do need help and need support, but they're uncertain if if they want to enroll in therapy? I would say please let go of the that stigma of what other people are going to think, because at the end of the day, people are going to be so happy and proud that you've done something to change your life. You know, um, therapy sometimes is once or twice a week for an hour session, you know, and of course our brains tell us, oh, well, I could be doing so many other things. We binge watch TV shows longer than that. 
you know, show up for yourself. And I promise other people will see the difference. So I really, I, I love what you just said, Michelle, because you said show up for yourself. Um, can I get a hallelujah? Um, you hallelujah. Know, <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, that is so important though. And, 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 you know, I'm not making light of what you just said. Um, I, I, I'm highlighting um, and emphasizing what, what you said, Michelle, because um, that leads to um, self-care. And, and so I feel like making time in your busy schedule to participate once or twice in weekly therapy for yourself is, is making an investment in your social, emotional, and mental well-being. Um, and, and why would any one of us not want to do that? If it's going to lead to us having um, higher self-esteem, um, having better self-confidence, um, learning new skills uh, that may lead us to having better relationships. Uh, you know, I could go on and on and on about the benefit for all of us to participate in therapy. Now, I realize I'm a little biased because of uh, being a therapist, and I've, I've done this work for 24 years, and I've, if you can believe this, Michelle, have been a clinical director over every level of care in the mental health industry. Um, so yes, I do believe every single one of us uh, should have access um, in their cell phones, uh, speed dial to a therapist, because it's just healthy. It's healthy for all of us to have somebody that we can reach out to and and to have someone in our life that's unbiased and that will listen and and that will um, help identify opportunities that may lead to um, increasing the, uh, joy and happiness that we have in our life. And, and so, um, you know, there's different, uh, styles of therapy. There's different um, mediums of therapy. So um, an individual, um, a patient, one person could do individual therapy. If, if there's identified needs uh, associated with family needs, uh, you know, there could be family therapy. Uh, there's group therapy. I mean, there's there's all sorts of therapy that individuals can access to meet specific needs. And, and so it's really identifying, okay, what is the catalyst for therapy? Um, you know, what is it that I hope to achieve by by becoming involved in in therapy? Um, and then I and then I recall, Michelle, what you said earlier was, you know, uh, be mindful of what the relationship uh, feels like between you and your provider. And after two or three sessions, if you feel like there's really not that clicking, uh, that it's okay. Uh, ask to, you know, be paired with a different provider to see if there's a better personality fit, maybe a better temperament fit or cultural fit uh, so that, you know, that will lead to best case outcomes. So, Michelle, exactly. is there anything else that you feel uh, would be really beneficial for our KUNV uh, listeners to, uh, you know, just hold in mind when they're thinking about uh, connecting themselves or a family member to therapy? 
Um, one thing that comes to mind is my therapist told me that even therapists need therapists. So it's not a stigma that you're less than or, you know, below anybody. You know, we all need some level of help in our life. And Absol- if you get it, it changes your life. Absolutely. And so um, as part of my doctoral training, and then even before that piece of education, uh, you know, I had done individual therapy when I adopted my children. Uh, we did family therapy uh, in my 17 year marriage. I, I did uh, three years of couples therapy, uh, one at the first year marriage and then one at the 10 year mark from of, of my, that 17 year relationship. And, you know, it's just ongoing. And as a therapist, it's so important that we remain open and open minded to continue to learn and to grow as a professional. And I love what you said, uh, Michelle, because that really ties in to what um, I dis- I acknowledged earlier in regards to some of the attributes that is helpful for a therapist to be successful. Um, and one of those is, is, is to be humble um, because I feel like there's a lot of ego actually in mental health. And it's really important, I think, to check that at the door. Um, so that we can present like we are no better than those who sit across from us. So, Michelle, I just want to thank you so much for um, being part of this very important conversation. Uh, This is Dr. G for It's Where I Am on 91.5 FM KUND. Until next time, I'm Dr. G. 